If you have a financial question for Peg and Bruce, you can call this number 24-7-1-888-6 advice. You can also email your questions to your money at wealthenhancement.com. But right now you can call or text our studio line at 651-461-9226. Once again, here's Senior Vice President and Financial Advisor Peg Webb and the founder of Wealth Enhancement Group and Financial Advisor Bruce Helmer. Hi, Bruce and Peg. Good morning, Denny. Good morning, Bruce. Hi, Peg. And that, of course, introducing us is the legendary Denny Long. Hello, Denny. Good to be with you again, my friend. Um, Denny and listeners, Peg and I today uh, are going to do a show. Uh, back in August, we did a show where we talked about how to create your first million dollars, making your first million dollars. And Peg, I got to tell you, when we when we first or our marketing team and, and, and others came up with the idea. My first thought was, and I'm, I'm dating myself, I don't know if anyone else will know this reference, but back in the 70s when he first broke as a comedian, Steve Martin had these records and he had a bit called How to Become a Millionaire, and he's like, first, get a million dollars. I had this feeling like people are going to think that's what we were doing and not giving them anything to sink their teeth into. But I think we did, and we had a great response to that first show. So we came up with the idea, let's do another one now, and how do we add another million onto that first million? We call the show You've Made Your First Million. Now how do you get to two million? And I think we've got some really good thoughts and ideas and strategies and practical advice for people for saving money and accumulating and improving their their, their net worth. I agree, Bruce. Uh, there is, it's, it's interesting, and I don't know that we said this in August, but there's 7.5 million millionaires in the U.S. Uh, so that's 1 million in assets. And then this is more interesting to me. There's 8 million roughly households that have 2 million or more. So I thought what we would do is super quick, just recap what we said in August, because I'm sure everybody listened, but they, we've done a lot of shows since then. So I thought, I'd, Bruce, I thought I'd just really quickly go through the highlights of um, what did we say back then? Well, we said, number one, these aren't in a certain order. So don't, when I say number one, I don't mean priority wise. I just mean it's something we talked about. You have to have ambition. So remember that 88% of millionaires are self-made out there. You hear that a lot. You know, they start a business. They, um, they're creative in how they come up with their million. But probably the number one advice I can give, uh, certainly, certainly at my age today and, and have been kind of around the block, is if you start early, I just can't even say that you know, too many times. If you start early, your likelihood or your odds of becoming a millionaire are so much um, greater. People actually live beneath their means, the people that are a billion dollars. Now, this is what we witness every day with our clients too. When getting a raise, people save some of it. Uh, simple as that. Contribute to your company retirement plan. Well, we, we say that all the time on this show. And especially if you're going to get a match from the corporation, um, you have to do that. Today, we're using these terms, Bruce, called the side hustle. Like not only are we keeping our regular jobs, but we're kind of out there doing other things like Uber, uh, maybe DoorDash, things like that. 
And then changing jobs. We actually talked about that too. How do you negotiate? If you're not a good negotiator, then maybe your first step is to go take a class on negotiation or go online and review some of the highlights of how do you become a good negotiator? Uh, The other thing I want to mention is um, just pure investing. So instead of like saving that money when you get the bonus and just putting it in the bank, you know, either teach yourself how to invest or get help. You know, it's not an embarrassing moment if you say, oh, I think I need help in this area uh, because it's going to help me with the probability of success, you know, for the long term. Uh, so those were a couple things, Bruce, that we talked about. Um, and actually, we talked about a lot of things that day in August. You know, one of the things that I don't think we talked about, or if we did, I don't remember. But one of the one of the common denominators, Peg, that I think, not I think, I know that I've seen in people that, that become millionaires and are very successful, most of them are very involved in self-improvement. They listen to self-help books in the car, or they still, they're old-fashioned like me, and they still read a hardcover or, or paperback book. So, you know, if you want to be a better negotiator, maybe you, you pick up Harvey McKay's book and you read how to be a better negotiator. But I, I, I absolutely think, as I sit here and think of whether it's clients or friends that have, that have achieved financial success, I think I can tell you that every one of them really believes in that type of self-improvement. What do I not know that I want to learn and and get better at? Um, that, that, That runs across the board. And I don't think we mentioned it. I think that's a big one. The other thing I've, I've witnessed in the decades I've been doing this job is people don't look like millionaires. You know, in, in my visionary world that I've had when I was young, you know, it was the kind of flashy people that I thought, oh, they have all the money. They have the fancy cars. They've got the fancy house. But what I've witnessed, um, once again, doing this job for decades, is that people are millionaires, but they don't look like millionaires. And they, and, and I would say the common thread here is in the millionaires that we work with, they absolutely started early. So, The message I want to give to the listeners out there, if you know anyone that um, is young, and I often have said on this show, the young people are the rich people. And you might say, what are you talking about? They don't have a dime, right? But the young people are rich in time. So when you look at people that have money, you know, they look older and they're established and they've saved over a long period of time. But to me, now looking back, the rich people are the young people. So if you could just get an ear of any young person out there for two minutes, three minutes, and just teach them that really you're the rich people if you just do these couple things. And the couple thing, it, couple things are, number one, start early. And I love what you said, Bruce, because it, it, we're not all born with the trait of knowing exactly what to do, right, with money or um, positioning ourselves. And I've always been, this is number two, I've always been a person that copies other successful people. I just say, well, why, why would I try to recreate, you know, or reinvent the wheel? Why wouldn't I just look at successful people and see what they did 
um, to get where they are. Bruce? Yeah, and, and, uh, and I like what you said about how they, they don't look like millionaires. Um, you know, of course, someone could say, well, what's a millionaire look like? But I know what you mean. You know, the, the fancy car, the fancy clothes. I got to share this story really quick on they don't look like millionaires. I'm not going to say his name because he didn't give me permission to do that. I don't think he'd mind, but I don't want to take any chances. But I had a business meeting one time with a, with a well-known person in this community, a well-known businessman. And we were going to, we had a specific thing to talk about. And he's like, yeah, I'll grab lunch with you. Where should we go? And I said, well, how about my, my, my country club? He's like, nah, that's kind of hoity-toity. Let's go to Lion's Tap. So, so we went to Lion's Tap for hamburgers. And he walks in with a white T-shirt, blue jeans with holes in the knees. And, and anybody that didn't know who he was would never know that this guy is a very, very successful businessman. He just He's not pretentious. He doesn't put on airs he's just he is who he is and he doesn't care and again i like that, that you said that because i think that is a common denominator this this idea that we have of the super wealthy of how they're supposed to look and how they're supposed to dress it just isn't the case and we talked about this in august also this was first these people were first kind of identified in a book from the 80s the millionaire next door thomas stanley and uh, william danko it's a great read again even for people trying to accumulate wealth I think there's a lot of tips in The Millionaire Next Door on how these people went about it. But to your point, yeah, they don't necessarily look how you think they're going to look. Peg? Yeah. And and if anybody out there would be willing to share, you know, um, your experience, if, if maybe you got to a million and you want to get to two million, you know, how did you do it? Were there any setbacks? We'd love to hear from listeners. Uh, and and just call or text our studio line at 651-461-9226. Let's get into, um, now we've got our first million, how do we get to the second million? We've actually got three time-tested approaches, Bruce, to building significant wealth. So we're not suggesting that one of these is better than the other. It's just three. We're just um, You can mix and match them as you want. But the first strategy is um, visualizing what it means to be truly wealthy, then act. Well, what do we mean by that? Personal traits to emulate from other high net worth people. This is, uh, this is actually a couple stats from a Fidelity recent survey. Set ambitious goals. Now, everybody listening to the show knows that Peg Webb believes in goals. And, and I take them very seriously. You know, so put your ideas and goals into action. There is there is no bad goals, right? They're just something that you write down. And, and um, what I did learn, let's see, probably 15 years ago, because I would write, Bruce, some really pretty big goals. And they were, they were way out there, right? They were harder to achieve. And I would get frustrated because I wasn't making enough progress with that goal. So... Um, I got taught 15 years ago, and this was someone, this was strategic coach. This was Dan Sullivan's uh, class I went to. And what they taught me was every 90 days, because my goal and my view of the horizon was so far out there. So they taught me that every 90 days I had to sit down and, and say, number one, what did I achieve in the last 90 days? Because I would get so frustrated that I wasn't further along on my goals 
And then you would sit there in silence and just write all the great things that happened in the last 90 days. And wow, did that change my attitude about persevering on those goals? Because you can feel so defeated if you make them too big. Um, So let's say you're starting a business, you're going to really want to break down, you know, what goals you have within that business. But then I can't say enough, sit down every three months and say, what did I do you know, that helped me or what were the great things that happened over the last 90 days? Bruce? Yeah, I think that's really smart and really good advice. And uh, I do give people, you know, when you talk about setting goals, you always use the uh, the acronym SMART. And, and I think that's good to share again when you talk about setting goals. Yeah, I don't... Um... At the moment, I don't have that in my head. Let's see. Uh, do, 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 do. Is it um, is it is it specific, measurable, achievable, realistic, time measurable, <laughs> and timely? Yeah. Timely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I just didn't have that in my head this morning. So no, yeah, I'm thanks sorry. for doing I didn't mean that. To throw you a cur- yeah, I didn't mean to throw you a curve, but I think you know. Again, you talk about setting goals that can be frustrating because if you have this big audacious goal and you don't feel like you're making any progress, it's easy to you know throw in the towel and quit. So you take small goals, small bites at a time, and I like this idea of checking in every 90 days and say, well, I'm not there yet, but look at all I did in the last 90 days. I can see the progress. I'm heading in the right direction. I think another one, Bruce, is mentors. So um, in my career, I always identified somebody that I wanted to emulate. And so um, I wasn't afraid to go up to that person who I emulated and ask them for advice. And so um, you, you can't possibly at this stage know everything. You can't be embarrassed to go up to somebody that you uh, feel would be a good mentor and just tell them, I don't know this. I don't understand this. Can you give me, and this is, this is one of my lines, can you give me the really shortcut, short version of how I get from here to there. And believe me, these people are willing to share. They say, oh yeah, I made all these mistakes. It took me so much time to cut this out, cut that out. Here's the two things you need to know. And I found that that was the most impactful um, to my career success. So then look for feedback. So if, um, if, if you feel like you know, you've got it all under control. You know what you're doing. You, you, you probably don't, right? So it's not a bad idea to go to these mentors or actually your family or somebody that you really trust their opinion and ask them, you know, is, is there something that I need to change? Uh, let them critique you and give you feedback. These are all challenging things to do. Then this other one I want to get in, Bruce, right now is... If you're afraid to fail, you probably are not going to get to the top because I have to tell you, there's so many successful people that have failed hundreds of times in different parts of their life, but yet they just keep on going and, you know, they try to take calculated risks that'll pay off after they had experience of just failing a couple times ahead. So that's not... It's not something to be embarrassed about, Bruce. Yeah, I think that's really smart, Peg. And, and, you know, again, as I look at these people that I know that are successful, that is absolutely a common denominator. They're they're just not, they're fearless. 
And you, you said it very well. If you're afraid to fail, you're, you probably are going to fail. And, you know, if, I, if, if people are wondering what we mean by that, some people that are sports fans, you know, I think in, 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 in everything in life, there's playing to win or playing not to lose. And those are not the same things. If you're going through life playing not to lose, that's not the same as, as going for it and playing to win. And uh, and uh, maybe that still seems opaque to everybody, but um, I, I certainly, when I watch the Minnesota Vikings as a sports analogy, and they have a lead and they go into their prevent defense, I hate that because to me that's playing not to lose, and you're giving up chunks of yards. I always say the prevent defense prevents you from closing out and winning the game. Stay aggressive, but um, I understand why they do it in business. Sometimes you want to do that, but. Uh, the aggressive guy, people that are that are not afraid to fail, and 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 they're going to have failures, but it doesn't slow them down. They just keep going. I am so glad you said that. So number two is exploit the eighth wonder of the world. And anyone listening to the show is going to know that this is a huge passion of mine. Let time and compounding work for you. So Einstein said, "This is a quote." Compound interest is the eighth wonder of the world. He knows, understands it, earns it, and he who doesn't pays it. So the best way to become a millionaire, and we, we talked about this too in the, uh, the first million, but it's even more important with the second million is time is on your side. Because when we talk about the markets and investing, it's far more important than timing the market. And it's just such an intrinsic emotional thing that we have that if we start to go backwards, we tend to want to make uh, the wrong decisions. But we coach our clients to this, you know, set a strategy, you know, if you can't do it alone, if you can't not jump in and out of the market alone, you should get an advisor or somebody that you trust that would make you um, or suggest to you uh, that you don't jump out of the market. Now, I'm a big fan and learned this rule so long ago, the rule of 72. So a quick, quick formula that we use and our clients get it is the number of years required to double your money. And so there is a calculation. And if you go and Google, you know, rule of 72, there'll be calculators that you can do in two seconds there. But to calculate the time period an investment will double you divide the number into 72 by your expected rate of return. It's this simple. If you take 7.2% that you're going to earn every year and you divide it into 72, this is really easy, easy math, you're going to double your um, investments or your uh, net worth within 10, it's 10 years, 10 years of time. So let's do the opposite. You get 10% rate of return. It's going to take 7.2 years of time. And then I often talk with my clients, too, because they're not they don't want to be that aggressive. Well, 5% doubles in 14.4 years of time, which um, which is just good to know that if you want, if you have a million and you want to double that million, this sounds like, wow, that isn't even that far out. That isn't even that many years. But if people understood and you're working towards something, then uh, this is a good, quick formula to know. Bruce? Peg, let's, uh, I'm, I'm going to suggest we do this. And, Danny, we've got you know, a little over a minute. 
Um, so, so far, Peg and I uh, have covered two of the strategies of how to get from $1 million to $2 million. Um, Let's do this. When we come back from break, we'll kind of recap what we've talked about so far, and then uh, we'll talk about the third strategy that we haven't gotten to yet. And then Peg already mentioned this, but listeners, as always, we take any and all financial questions, but also on this specific topic, if you've had a personal experience, if you've done this, and you want to share the things that you did or you had setbacks and you want to talk about how you overcame them, we, you know, we want your stories on wealth building, your successes, your failures, either you personally or somebody you know, somebody you worked with. I think listeners will find that interesting. And, of course, as always, any and all financial questions. So uh, if you want to call in, 651-461-9226, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll let listeners drive most of the second half of the show, Danny. Yes, absolutely. Again, that's six five one four six one nine two two six. That'll work for either a phone call or a text message. And as we head to the break for both uh, Bruce and Peg, a texter wants to know how do you define a millionaire? We'll uh, let you think about that, and we'll come back from the break and uh, get an answer. Six five one four six one nine two two six is our uh, studio line for either a phone call or text. Here on your money. If you have a financial question for Peg and Bruce, you can call this number 24-7, 888-6-ADVICE. You can also email those questions to yourmoneyatwealthenhancement.com. But right now, and we urge you to do so, call or text our studio line at 651-461-9226. Once again, here's Senior Vice President, Financial Advisor Peg Webb, and the founder of Wealth Enhancement Group, Financial Advisor Bruce Helmer. Thank you, Denny Long. Thanks, uh, listeners, for sticking with us. If you're just joining us, Peg and I in the first half of the show were talking about, uh, we we recapped a show we did in August about how to make your first million, and today we're talking about how to get from one million to two million. And uh, Peg, let's do a quick recap. Denny tells me there's uh, callers on hold and uh, texts coming in, but uh, in terms of getting uh, to two million, Peg talked at length about the first strategy, which is visualize what it means and then act. And some of the things there, we talked about setting ambitious goals and acting on them. Peg talked about mentors. Peg talked about getting feedback from others. We talked about not being afraid to fail. Um, and we talked about understanding the value, uh, the time value of money. The second strategy, exploit the eighth wonder of the world. That's the magic of compound returns. And Peg talked at length about the, the rule of, uh, of 72. And then, Peg, uh, someone texted uh, how, did, how we define a millionaire. What's your definition of millionaire? Well, um, that's actually a really good question. Working with so many clients, um, I have to look at it from a couple different standpoints because we're numbers people, right, Bruce? So when we talk about a million dollars, I mean, we could say, okay, that's factual, right? If you have a million dollars, that's fact. But then there's the second definition to me, and that is just people who are, you know, have stewardship of their money. And they try their very best to do everything they can to get that money to grow. And they see what money can actually do. So let me give you an example. Um, I, I'm, a, I'm a huge proponent of teaching children the compounding of money. So if it were Peg Webb that could wave a wand and 
encourage um, families, you know, parents, encourage the school systems just to educate our youth about what the power of, of compounding is. And some listeners might say, wow, why is she so passionate on that? Because if you have some money, you don't even have to put in a whole lot of effort to get that to compound. And if our youth knew that, that there was like the secret sauce out there about compounding money, I really believe that, that the, a lot of the money problems of, of the youth and saving and education, both on the parent side and the school system side, would change forever. Bruce? Yeah, the only thing I'll add is, again, to the texter, if, he's, if he or she is looking for something specific, what does it mean to be a millionaire? I would say a, a, a million dollars in assets with no debt. But if you have you know, a, a million dollars in assets and a million dollars of debt, then you're not a millionaire. So to me, it goes down to the net worth number. If I have assets of $3 million and debt of uh, Five hundred thousand, and my net worth is two point five million. I'm a two point five millionaire, and I know that's kind of cold and numerical, but that's the way I would look at it. Is is a million dollars or more of assets more than your debt? And assets could be not just investment, stocks and bonds, retirement plans, but even the home that you live in. If it's paid for, that's an asset. It's not normally an income-producing asset, but it could be if you wanted it to be. So uh, that's how I would define it. So, Peg, before we get to the third strategy, uh, maybe we should take a, a call and uh, a text, and maybe they'll kind of take us where we want to go anyway. Denny, have we still got callers holding? Yes, indeed. Callers and texters, uh, let's hear from Glenn. Glenn's on the line. Glenn, thank you for waiting. What is your question, please? Yeah, I was wanting to know, like these cycles, those up and down cycles, how long do they last? You know, or what's been the average? I'm talking about like back in 2009, 14,000 to that uh, 6,344 market. And it's it just what we don't get back is the time it takes. And now as I'm 58 years old and I maybe had, you know, once close to a million, now you're trying, you're saying double that million. I'm thinking, geez, wouldn't it be nice to get back to the million I had invested or the value that we had? So I, if they could talk to about uh, how, what, what are these cycles of lengths, you know, because that's what, that's what kills a guy more than anything is the time it takes to bounce back. I've kind of saved myself broke, but rich in the Lord, but saved myself broke. Okay, I'll, I'll just sit back and listen. <laughs> Glenn, thank you for listening, and thank you. It's actually a really good question, Peg. So as we're talking about accumulating a million or two million, there are listeners, including Glenn, it sounds like, that maybe were there 12 months ago, and now they're not because they saw their portfolios retract by roughly 20%. So comment on how long these down cycles typically last and how investors and listeners and people striving to be a millionaire or a two millionaire, how do, how, how do they strategically handle uh, negative years like this, negative markets like this? Oh, yes. I've got a lot to say about that. Number one, I wish we could change that entire system that we have to go backwards to move forwards. But I would say that's a lot of, that's kind of a principle of life too, that it's not all roses. You know, there, a lot of people out there listening probably have had setbacks in other ways and you, it, it almost makes you stronger, right? Because you have to persevere, you have to stay invested. 
Um, that was just a comment. Then cycles. There is no real pattern, but what I can tell you is constantly I'm looking at the graph of a hundred years of time. And it, and it appears, you know, there's, there's two things here. There's economic cycles where, you know, the economy is robust and then we have to regroup. Then it's robust and then we have to regroup. If you look at the market over the last hundred years, you can see that there's a cycle like that. And then we got to regroup and then we got to regroup. And it actually is, it's actually shorter um, than five years of time. Usually the recoveries are shorter than five years of time. Some of them are shorter than three years of time. Now, we also have some things thrown in there, like the financial crisis of 2008, 2009, very impactful. We have COVID, very impactful, but the government helped us out, right? They really shortened that um, cycle of going backwards because of their printing money and the things that they did to keep us, uh, keep the whole economy afloat. Uh, they, what I coach more so than looking at cycles of time is that I just see progression in time. So the coaching I do is more so you have to stay invested because the next graph that I use at my desk a lot is if in a hundred years or even the last 10 years or the last 20 years, if you're out of the market in a very short period of time, let's just say five days, if you're out of the market on the five best days, now we've witnessed this Bruce in the last couple of weeks, we had one day where we were up 6% and we had another day that we were down three and a half. You can't possibly miss those good days and have the same rate of return for people who are, are staying in the market. The, the other thing I'll say is um, after the financial crisis of 2008, 2009, that was so impactful that we literally had one of the longest bull runs that we've had in a very long time, 13 years of time. Basically it went up. So we were due for some type of react, uh, retraction, but I am a believer that the economy will get back on its feet and then we're going to start another cycle um, on the way up. Bruce? Yeah, as always, Pig's answer is spot on and smart and thoughtful. But, the, Glenn, the question is so good that I still have a lot of additional thoughts. That I, I know I'm not even going to remember them all. I was trying to jot down notes, Peg, as you were talking. But in addition to what Peg said, and I understand Glenn's point, and I understand a lot of people are feeling this frustration, and what Glenn probably understands, and it was part of his reason for calling, that some people might not, It's he was kind of hinting that you know it takes a long time or it's hard to dig out of this hole after a retraction. And that's because if you get the same rate of return positive that you had previously on the negative, people would instinctively think, well, then I made my money back. But you don't. Think about it. So if I have $100,000, just to make the math simple, and I have a, a year of negative 10, I'm down to $90,000. I lost 10%. If the next year I have a positive 10, I'm not back to even because positive 10 on 90 only gets me to 99. I'm still down 1000 bucks. So Glenn is right. The big negative returns is what really torpedoes our long-term average return per year. That would seem to suggest, well, we ought to get out of the market then when it's going to be bad 
but that is absolutely the wrong answer because to make that make sense, you have to be right on both decisions. You have to be right on when you get out, and you probably won't be, and you have to be right on when you get back in, and you probably won't be. And there's all kinds of empirical data that if you're trying to time the market and you miss even the 10 best days over years of time, you, you basically sabotage your own return. So even though people get frustrated and people get sick of us saying stay the course when the market's down, um, they want something smart, they want something better or different answer, the reality is that the vast majority of the time that is the right answer. And if you still have a long time horizon and you have extra money, or let's say it's your 401k. Let's say you saw your 401k shrink by 20% in the last year, but you're still working. Now, if you're still making contributions, you're, you're buying into the market at a 20% discount. So when the market does recover, and it will, it's not a question of if, it's a question of when. Remember what we're investing in here, folks. We're investing, presumably, in smart, innovative, creative, well-run companies that will stub their toe once in a while based on economic circumstances that they can't control. But if they're efficient and well-run, they will be profitable and grow over time. They will come back. The market always has. I believe it always will. So I understand Glenn and other people being frustrated at 2022, which was a really bad year. But I will remind them, Peg also referenced 2008. I don't remember, Peg, exactly how long it took to get, quote, back into the black. But I do know this. At the beginning of the market retraction, which really started in October of 2007, and it lasted about 18 months until spring, March of 2009. At the beginning of the retraction, the U.S. market, as measured on the Dow, was a little over 14,000. By March of 2009, it was 6,500 and some change. Think about that. 6,500 and some change. Today, even with the retraction we had this year, the Dow is well over 30,000. Even that, the, 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 the worst retraction most of us have ever seen in our lifetime, the only worst was the crash of 29. Even in 2008, if you stayed the course, you still did well on your average rate of return per year in the stock market. So patience is the key. Time horizon matters. Little tweaks and strategies can matter. But at the end of the day, buy low and sell high. Hang in there. Don't sell now. And if you have extra money or you're still working, keep participating in the 401k and you're buying low. Now, Peg, do you want to finish the last strategy before we go to more questions or should we, you want to go to questions? Um, let me just quickly mention the last strategy because we might keep people hanging if we answer questions, and that is to be multidimensional. And I have to throw in here, Bruce, uh, building a comprehensive plan can actually help you uh, get to where you want to go. And it seems like it isn't talked as, about as much as the market. And I thought it would be timely because Glenn, you know, was talking about the stock market and that's my only way that I can you know, keep making positive uh, progress, but it's not. With comprehensive planning, you can you can do tax strategies. Uh, we we find money all the time by trying to figure out how can we within the law, you know, use some of these tax strategies uh, for clients. Asset protection, like how do you protect your 
um, assets from um, the markets or a, a life, uh, you know, what if you suddenly pass away, you know, things like that. You have to look at that. Um, asset titling, how are your assets titled? So if something happens to you, is it going to the right person? I would say, um, you know, Roth conversion. So we're right here at the end of the year. You know, you can create wealth by trying to stay more tax-free compounding versus taxable. Because many, many people out there, Bruce, have IOUs to the IRS, and they're huge because they have deferred all their assets in 401ks or IRAs. And yes, it feels so good while you're doing it. But then on the backside, um, I just had a client this week that uh, complained about their Medicare um, amount that's coming out of their uh, Social Security. And it's based on how much income you have today. Well, this person is 80 years old and the required minimum distribution is huge. So that's all taxable income, which creates higher income that the Social Security Administration looks at, that then they charge you monthly for your Medicare. So there's things that compound negatively on the backside that I don't think people are aware of if they're not doing comprehensive planning. Bruce? Peg, that is so smart. Look, we can't control the weather. We can't control if it's going to rain. We can control... If we, if we wear a raincoat or bring an umbrella. We can't control cold and snow, but we can control whether we wear boots and a coat and gloves and put a scraper in the, in the car. In the investment world, we can't control the markets. We can't control the stock market, but we can control strategies to reduce our taxes. We can control being diversified. We can control um, how we plan and how we title assets. We can control estate planning. So, Focus on the things we can control, and even if the markets aren't cooperating in the short term, if we're doing the right things, it will ultimately pay dividends for us if we're patient. But even the years where the market's down, you know, this is a good example. Markets are down this year. We can do some tax loss harvesting, lock in losses, and give people deductions to carry forward and use to offset for, for uh, future gains. So you're right, Peg. It always, always comes down to comprehensive financial planning, not just the ROI, return on investment, of my portfolio. Denny, let's let listeners take us the rest of the way. I think, uh, Bruce, we have Paul on the line to ask a question. Paul, thank you. What is your question for Bruce and Peg? Uh, thanks for your show. I, I'm one of those people you talked about in the first half of your show. The most important thing to do is uh, look at your personal finances like a business person and always spend to the rhythm of the business. If things slow down for you in terms of income or whatever, cut back your spending. I've done well. Uh, the economy's gotten tougher. The stock market's done worse. I've gone to discount stores and get the same brands. The other thing to do is um, if you're running a business or work for a corporation, uh, always make sure you have large spread between your cost of goods and your selling price. A large spread in gross margin will cover a lot of sins. Um, and then the other thing to think about is uh, cash is very tempting. You want to put your cash in a place where you're not going to reach for it quickly. As Warren Buffett says, cash is like a full bladder. Uh, full, a pocket full of cash is like a full bladder. One will want to relieve themselves of that as quickly as possible. Thanks for your show. I enjoy it. <laughs> that's really good stuff. I don't know, Peg, you want to comment on that? But that's, that's really good stuff. 
I love it. I love everything that Paul said. And it, 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 I, I, the, the best point he made was think of your personal finances as you are a business owner. That's brilliant. And, and everybody out there needs to do that because cutting back on spending today, now the government would, you know, they kind of want us to, right? They're, they're raising interest rates so that we slow down. Um, going to discount stores. I mean, Walmart uh, CEO was on um, public television just telling us that, hey, the number one people that are coming to shop at our store now are people who used to shop at the high-end grocery stores. Um, And then just the comment about cash, too. I think today, with interest rates higher, we all can make money on our money that's sitting around in cash. So that's something that you could take uh, um, advantage of at this point, Bruce. Yeah, and the other thing I, that Glenn was saying is, you know, again, I think most people, Peg, if they get a raise or they, they make more money, they spend more. But the people that get to be millionaires and multimillionaires, they focus first on saving and investing more and not necessarily putting it all in the lifestyle. I mean, you can put some of it in the lifestyle, but um, if, if you make more money, you should be saving and investing more money. Denny, can we squeeze in a text or are we about, about home? I think this uh, final text is it's a comment more than a question, and I think it's right up the alley here. It says, good morning. I am a consummate learner about my money and investing. Although I did not know a lot about the subject growing up, I'm trying to steer my children in the right direction. My children have had a Roth IRA since the age of 18 and have maxed out each year with a $6,000 contribution. I have not fronted the money for them. They have used their own income earned. I taught them what compound interest is and looks like and let the example speak for themselves. Good comment. That's that is awesome. So and those great. kids, I have no doubt, are going to be successful. Right, Peg? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we, uh, we're just about out of time. Any final thoughts? Well, I would, I would, if you, yeah, if you um, heard the show today and you couldn't get, catch all the concepts, it will be on your money, I mean, uh, wealthenhancement.com under insights early this week. Awesome. Thanks, Danny. Good to be with you, buddy. Yes, and you as well. Thanks so much. Uh, and uh, we want to remind our listeners that they can, if they think of a question midweek, you can call, always call 888-6-ADVICE. You can always email your questions to your money at wealthenhancement.com. But do stay in touch. 888-6-ADVICE. Again, email your questions and we'll pick them up on later shows. Just send them to your money at wealthenhancement.com. And do join us next time for more of your money.